It is football and other F words. And it's the final day of being able to say Happy New Year. After today, nobody can say Happy New Year. That is, that is the rules. That's how it works. This is the last day. So we got we were able to work it in. Happy New Year to everybody. New Year, same Titans drama. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Because, listen, we all agree. It effing sucks. It fucking sucks. And we're going to be talking about all that that happened yesterday. We're going to be talking about maybe at least one shining player that maybe is something to hang your hat on and to watch in this Sunday's game. Uh, we're going to be talking about John Robinson's draft history, coaches that should be on the hot seat, the rookie wall. And of course, we're going to be talking about those tweets from last night from at NFL draft bites, Chad Forbes, and, and kind of talk a little bit. And there was one thing, there was a reply in there that I also want to talk about, Mike, okay. about the scheme and Vrabel not fitting the scheme to the player. So I, I think that is a entirely inaccurate depiction of what is going on with the Tennessee Titans and not true at all. But I thought that was an interesting thing. I got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Got me a little list here. So I want to get right into it. But before that, you can always rely on Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee to, to help make the new year easier. So head over to Bluegrass Beverages, get you some liquor, screw dry January. We don't do that kind of, we don't quit in, in, on F, football and other efforts. And we, we're not quitters. We're not going to go on a hiatus. You go to Bluegrass Beverages, get you some alcohol, take it home. Don't drink a drive. Get some Uber Eats if you're in the area because they are on Uber Eats, Bluegrass Beverages. But this is a very limited menu. We're going to have to work on getting Bluegrass Beverages to expand their offerings on Uber Eats. But you can at least get the basics like Jack Daniels and some champagne and some wine. You can get all that stuff. Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Been around for over 50 years. Mike, yesterday, uh, Mike Vrabel got up to the podium. Gentry Estes uh, asked him a kind of like a follow-up question to um, something that he said earlier about wanting to win or something like that. It, it, the previous question doesn't really matter, and I don't really care about the question that Gentry asked. I care about the answer. And the answer is, it sucks to lose, uh, Vrabel said. And then, it fucking sucks. Losing is awful. That's why I want to win, because you don't sleep. You want to win for the players that bust their tail. That's it. It's not about, hey, hey, we'll go into the offseason with a good note. Nobody knows what you did on January 7th, January 8th, or January 6th in April when you come back. But you want to see it, want to see just it all come together and just put four quarters together. A lot of people, man, I, I get to the point where I'm just like, I know that we're in a business of driving clicks for a lot of stuff, but I feel that we've always done it authentically, not for yeah. the purpose of driving clicks for money, but we want you guys to tune in, trust us because you either a have a good time B or find something informative or both. We don't do anything for just for clicks. We don't, yeah, I don't think either write anything for clicks. We don't do videos for clicks. It's all, it's all authentic, right? Yeah. We've never once had a conversation about, Oh, well, this would get a, a lot of traction or anything like that. I mean, that's, that's not even a part of yeah, how we formulate. So the show. I have a hard time with some of the people that have blown this out of proportion in a still Stillman esque kind of way. And it's not just Stillman, but people have blown this out of proportion 
They've called it performative, inauthentic. It's fake. It doesn't matter. He's an idiot still. Blah, 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 blah. There's people that just aren't going to be happy with Vrabel at this point. And I think we just all have to accept that they're, those people that aren't going to ever be happy with Vrabel, they're just not being objective anymore. So, in saying all that, are you surprised? Because I'm not surprised. I, I think PK put it be- best. Mike Vrabel got hot for a second and swore, and it told us nothing new about him. Right? Like, I think that's, that is the perfect way to put it. This is a big, it feels like to me, a big nothing burger in a big scheme of things because it just doesn't really fucking matter. I'm not surprised that this guy does not like losing being that he played <laughs> where he's played for most of his years in the NFL, go, even probably dating back to Ohio State where he's coached and all this kind of stuff. I'm kind of surprised that the guy that started out with, you know, a pretty sizable winning record for the Tennessee Titans in it through his first three years doesn't like fucking losing. Yeah, I mean, it. I don't I don't understand why anyone thinks that that was like acting or or anything like that. It's ridiculous. Like, of course, he hates losing. <laughs> he is like the most alpha of of like alpha male types. And he's ultra competitive and all this, you know, other stuff. It is clearly in his personality that losing is like toxic to his blood. Right. I mean, it, that is a part of who Mike Vrabel is. I don't think anything about that was fake. I think that as PK wrote, and I thought he captured my feelings about the whole thing. Well, as someone who I've, I feel like I've gotten to know Vrabel enough over the past, what, six years now um, that I, I feel like I'm pretty fluent in Vrabel. Like when he speaks, you know, I know what, what he means, what he doesn't mean, what he, you know, what his moods are, things like that. Um, And, you know, I think it was pretty clear that this was a rare, like, peek behind the curtain of, like, what he actually feels like. Because I I think most of the time he comes out to the media, he's trying to, you know, kind of just be even keel, try to keep everything between the lines for the most part, you know, publicly. Uh, Even if behind the scenes, maybe he's tore up about something or, or pissed off at somebody or whatever. He doesn't like to we bring get one of these blow ups every so often, right? Even in wins, th- there's at least one blow up every season. I feel like from Vrabel, where he just lets you in on how he truly is, and people are just ignoring it because it, listen, this team is losing, right? And that's ultimately if the team was winning, and let's say the team was uh, has ten wins and they're they're still on a losing streak to end the season, right? And he said this. Nobody, it would be in Big Nothing Burger, right? They'd be like, well, he's just getting his team motivated to for the playoffs. It's because they're losing that everybody wants to turn everything about Vrabel and forget everything we've learned about who Vrabel is over the course of six years. And and I think I think you're right. I think we have, as a, as a podcast, have become pretty fluent in reading between the lines, knowing what's going on behind the scenes. Because, look, a lot of people are like, well, you know, he put all these players on the IR, so they're tanking. First off, this team does not have to tank. We have said this numerous times <laughs> on the show. Yeah, they are this not team, There's a difference between losing and tanking. There's also a difference between wanting to win and having to do what's best for the team in the realm of we have to get these players healthy. It's it's a, it, There's a more of a strategic thing to where – Amani Hooker's going to be playing, or Jeffrey Simmons are going to be playing at 50%. It's not worth 
hindering possibly their 2024 progress to put them in on this team. And we need those roster spots. So we're going to have to put them on IR. That's not tanking. That's doing business in the fucking NFL. Like, I don't think like, do you think the Panthers are even trying to tank at, at this point? They're just not good. And the Titans yeah. are not good. It's, there is no such thing. I, I feel like there are teams that tank, but the, the Titans are not one of them. They just can't win. It's funny to me that like fans can watch this this team be bad all season long, all season from the start. They have been a bad football team, um, and then decide like at the end of the year that oh they they've they're, they can choose whether they want to be bad or not. They have no choice in the matter. They are bad. Um, you know they could be better, I suppose, if they if they maybe hadn't made some of the decisions as far as IR guys or whatever, and and tried to rush Jeffrey Simmons back onto the field or whatever, like it, like, sure. There's some of that where they're like, they're making a little bit of a business decision about like, let's not put this guy in harm's way with nothing to play for. But I don't think they're doing that to like an extreme degree by any means. I don't think it's, uh, and they're I mean, not they lost shutting down with like, those players on the field. Right. right like, right. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They pull their record with any of these guys and it's uh, bad. Um, so it, it is, uh, I mean, it's not like they're pulling Deandre Hopkins. Like they could easily pull Deandre Hopkins or pull Derek Henry or pull, you know, any of these other guys. Um, well, he even said, Harold Landry, that you know, person. Even said in that same press conference, you know, people are real. I guess I don't know if someone asked about like Caleb Mur Murphy and Travis Gibson specifically, yeah. but he said it's not fair to Danico Autry, Harold Landry, and Arden Key to take snaps and playing time away from them because they earned it. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a guy that's like actively trying to tank because if you're actively trying to tank, you take those guys out, right? I mean, right. like, yeah. I don't know. I just, to me, it kind of seems like people are just throwing nuance out the door purposely context yeah. out the door purposely but, and i'm getting kind of sick of it they all they came within like <laughs> a drive of beating the seahawks last week i mean we're talking about like they they were ahead in the fourth quarter of that game they were certainly not trying oh but they're to not lose. competitive mike <laughs> they're certainly not trying to lose these games they just don't have a choice in the matter they're a bad overmatched football team who has like probably the their issue at left tackle might be the biggest, most glaring deficiency that like cripples the entire team that I've ever seen of any football, like any single position on a football 62 field. 62 sacks. You cannot function with 62 sacks. And the left tackle position has given up more than 20 of those. I, I think just, just <laughs> Dillard and uh, Duncan alone are have combined for 21 allowed sacks this year. And if you throw in Petit Frere, the few snaps he's gotten over there, the few snaps Raiden's has gotten over there. Uh, if you throw in those, I, they're, they're, I think they're at like 24 or 25 sacks allowed by the left tackle position, which is outrageous. It, that is an outrageous number <laughs> um, for any position, much less your, your, what should be your ideally your best position on the offensive line. Um, just an insane number. Like, I don't, I'm going to have to go back and see if maybe I can look it up because um, I would have to guess that this is the most sacks allowed by a single position on the offensive line in the history of, of like PFF charting. Sure, it sure feels like it. Be. I mean, 62 is pretty high up there. And I know, I guess the Giants are really high up and their sacks allowed and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, there's but, other bad offensive right. lines, but the Titans yeah. have like a uniquely bad one position. Like, they're, I don't think yeah. they're great at the other four spots, but that left tackle spot is like, uniquely bad among all NFL teams. 
uh, on Friday stacking the inbox or Thursday stacking the inbox, I I was going out of town, so I had I had done a bunch of uh, videos and articles before I'm going out of town, and um, for the tomorrow Thursdays stacking the inbox, we're doing. Um, I took a took a look at because everybody's like, well, the decline from 2022 to 2023 is just so glaring, so glaring. It's just so bad. And Jim, and this from defense and offense side. So I, I pulled all these stats, looked at all the stats, because I don't think there's that much of a difference in the performance on the field. I think the difference is they just can't close games. And I don't think there's a difference in coaching. And offense specifically, they had uh, 40 something sacks last year, 62 something sacks, or 62 sacks this year. And, and really, even though they are allowing more sacks, they are as good as what they were last year without, you know, allowing all those sacks, all those extra sacks. They've, they've have a worse offensive line and they're just as good as something with technically a better offensive line. But the problem is, is the execution, like the expected points added are really, really good, but the execution of the players, the success rate is not that good. And that falls on the offensive line. So if you would have given Tim Kelly, who has way more explosive pass plays than Todd Downing did last year with one game still to go. If you would take, if you would have given Tim Kelly a great offensive line or at least an average offensive line, like let's say even 19, which is the Arizona Cardinals, then you would have seen a totally different, more efficient, better offense, right? Like to me, it's all the offensive line. It's not the scheme. It's not the coaching. It's not Mike Vrabel. It's the offensive line. You guys can say whatever you want to say, and I'm just going to have to let you scream into the void, but you're just wrong. Like, at this point, you're just playing wrong if you don't think the offensive line is the biggest issue, and that dates back to John Robinson. As far as defense goes, there are two Spider-Man pointing, whether it's Jim Schwartz or no Jim Schwartz. 2022 versus 2023, they're just two Spider-Man pointing uh, uh, overall. Like, yeah. they're just looking at each other like, okay, well, we're kind of the same. I may be Andrew Garfield, and you may be Tobey Maguire, but we're, we're both, we, we both only had one movie left in us. Like, they're the same thing. So, like, this idea that Jim Schwartz elevated this defense to some great heights is kind of like the Dean Pease years. The Dean Pease years, they were okay. They weren't really that great most of the time Dean Pease was here. Except people just hear the name and associate the name with good coaching even though Dean Pease has kind of been a middling defensive coordinator his whole career. He's been good when he's had good talent. But that's the thing. Yeah. Talent over coaching in the NFL. Talent matters the most. Yeah, there's there's certainly a romanticizing of last year's defense somehow. Um, and I get that like they, they started the season relatively well. They finished poorly. Um, there were some injuries factors going on with some of that stuff but guess what there's some injury factor going on with this stuff this year too um so i i think the the same guys that have been good for this team are good for this team like roger mccreary is still good uh harold landry is still good Danico autry is still good jeff simmons when he's out there is still good aziz alshire has been good um it's the the problem is everyone else <laughs> the problem is you know sean murphy bunting, bunting absolutely getting cooked uh, in this game, the problem is, you know, I'd say Amani Hooker. I'd put him in the list of guys who have been good when when they've been healthy and on the field. So, um, but the the problem is everything else is falling apart around those guys, and you just have a secondary that has way too many holes in it, 
And guess what? They had too many holes in it when they had Kevin Byer too. Um, that they they cannot function at a high level. Like there's only so much the pass rush can do. And I, I feel like the pass rush has been very good for the most part. It's got um, more sacks than Jim Schwartz did. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like they they have gotten pressure. They have they have done that part well. They just can't cover on the back end, and the run defense has fallen off tremendously, which I think is in large part due to one tier tart deciding, you know, he was going to pout all season over the contract situation. Um, despite the fact that he was making $4.8 million or whatever the hell it was on that tender. And then two, you know, the, the second linebacker position next to Aziz has been a mess all season. Um, and, and, I will say I wrote about Otis Reese uh, today, as well as two other players who I think are playing well down the stretch for the Titans. Um, and uh, I'm intrigued to see more Otis Reese, but I don't know what his actual ceiling is. Like, like I don't think it's a situation where it's like, oh, well, we figured out that Otis Reese is a stapled on starter next season. I think it might be like, oh, well, Otis Reese could maybe be our third or fourth linebacker next season. We don't have to go sign like a veteran to fill that uh that depth spot so I, i'm i'm intrigued to see more stuff but... like that on monday's uh stacking the box article i kind of just yeah. do a brief overview of where the the tennessee titans stand cap wise what who's actually still under contract for 2024 and all this stuff and otis reese is kind of like a guy that you know if he's on the team he's on the team i'm like i feel pretty neutral about him like his yeah. presence on the team in 2024 uh building blocks i want to get your your so like the foundational pieces, these are the players that like I think that you you go into 2024 and you build around. And obviously Will Levis, yeah. Jeffrey Simmons, and I put in Roger McCreary. And I put yeah. in Roger McCreary because I think he's an elite, a near elite, or he's trending to be a very, very, very fucking good nickel back corner, slot corner, which yeah. means you have to find guys, you have to build around him to make sure that he can stay where he's at and not play out of position. And and listen, he's not been terrible as an outside corner. He just doesn't have the length to play outside corner. But yeah. he's he's really good in the slot. So, like, I kind of thought those three are the guys that you, those are guys you're not actively looking to replace. And then you're or you're actively planning around them and then you have guys that you're actively not looking to replace like a next tier down yeah i mean i guess i i would say skaronsky maybe is in that like he hasn't played that well um recently he's been kind of up and down i i not to make an excuse for him but i do wonder a little bit if the appendectomy at the beginning of the season and like the strength and and all that that he lost it's hard to get that back in season because you're like in this play a game, recover, you know, get your body ready to play another game. You're not like building strength throughout the course of the season. Generally, especially as an offensive lineman, like usually you're like losing strength, losing weight. That's why a lot of offensive linemen come into the season heavier and then kind of play their way back down um, from a strength standpoint, because they know they're going to lose that, that strength of the course of the year. Um, I wonder if that has impacted his rookie season, maybe more than what, we're giving it credit for, but we'll see. We'll I see. Want, but, I, want to, I want to talk about Skaronsky because I'd, I'd like, I don't think he's a, a, I think he's that next tier down. Yeah, you, I can you, see that. And, and because you're and building the offensive line for Will Levis, right? Like it's yeah. kind of like, 
you're you're saying we got to build the, the office. He's a part of the found the building process of building around him. And but you're also, also not about building an offensive wall. line around a left guard. You know, you just right. Not. Yeah, I also want to talk about the rookie wall because I was thinking about this the other day, and I want to get your thoughts on it because we have talked about the rookie wall with NPF. I think Skaronski has hit the rookie wall as well. Uh, Roger McCreary hit it last year, but I want to talk in the sense that the college teams only play 12 to 13 games a year. If you get in a bowl game, you play 13 games in the NFL. You're playing more than likely 17 plus the preseason games mm-hmm. plus harder practices that go harder. So in your first year, I'm not surprised the rookie wall is such a thing because you're playing way more than than what anybody else, um, way more than what you have any of your any of your prior stops. So I kind of feel like if you if you see a rookie wall hit at like week 12 or week 11, you know may you know maybe you could say week eight if you play a lot in the preseason. But if I feel like if you see that rookie wall get hit it's likely just because they're not used to the rigors of the NFL. And I think that's what's happened to Skaronsky on top of the epidectomy, on top of playing between the worst left tackle and probably the worst centers in the league. Yeah, that that's another part of it too. Um, I, I think being flanked with, with those problems, especially as a pass blocker. Um, yeah. is not doing him any favors. So I, I do think Skaronsky, like I understand this hasn't been the, um, rookie season that everyone maybe hoped uh from him but he's also playing a new position by the way it's not quentin nelson who played guard in college who then went on to play guard in the nfl and also even i mean even guys like quentin nelson um you know your rookie year as an offensive lineman is rarely just lights out um like even even as a top pick um rarely do those guys step in and are just amazing. Like remember Andrew Thomas, like his rookie season, everyone was like, Oh man, this guy's terrible. And then now everyone's, you know, thinks he's arguably the second best left tackle in the game behind Trent, Trent Williams. So Garrett Bowles is another example for Denver. Garrett Bowles had turned into a fantastic left tackle for Denver and they were ready to run him out of town after I think maybe even two years of his career. So it takes these guys time a little bit, which is a problem for the Titans because, you know, they've got a lot of spots that they need to fix um, on the offensive line and they need to fix them fast. And, and free agency is not, um, not always the best place to do that. I, I think you could do it on the interior and I don't know that you can do it at tackle in free agency. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but that's a, that's a question for the off season at this point, but yeah, Skaronsky, people need to pull back the bus talk or, or panic or anything with Skaronsky at this point. Um, Stretch says, does Skaronsky even have elite traits for guard though? Well, everybody considered Skaronsky to be an elite offensive line prospect, a blue chip prospect player heading into the draft. And a lot of people thought he could be a tackle, but I kept saying he's going to be a guard. So yes, he does have the elite traits. I just, I think that he that it's there's something amiss about this offensive line and it's this commun the communication between them and the way they pass off stunts and the way that they attack I, I this is why I just don't like Jason Hotelling. I would just rather just some some of this stuff is like coachable stuff that they are messing up on, and then some of it is, you know, talent. Obviously, a lot of it's talent, but like yeah. 
you can't you can't be you can't be um sloppy in your communication and technique and be bad offensive lineman. <laughs> so yeah. like I just kind of where I'm at. And so I feel like Jason Hotelling had to correct something along the way and he never corrected anything along the way. And so I think there's possible we'll talk about the Chad yeah. Forbes X's later on down the road. And um Ed Belly asks, uh, has he lost his anchor or is it been matchup specific? Do you think the appendectomy has uh, lost his anchor? I I think it's affected his strength. Like, I I think his play strength is clearly not what it was even in the preseason. Like, like, I I watched him every snap in the preseason. And and then did he, when did he get the appendectomy? Was it, it was after the Saints game? Is that? Yes. Did he play one one game before he had it? I think. Yeah, he played the Saints game. Um, and yeah, and even against the Saints, I, I don't ever remember seeing him get pushed backwards. Like that was one of the things that I thought was a real strength of his was I thought his core strength and his ability to set his anchor and, and be firm in the pocket was a strength of his and his grip strength, frankly. Like once he got latched onto a guy, he really was kind of a bulldog and not letting the guy go. Um, so I, I think he does have elite traits. I, I do think that the appendectomy and the strength loss over the course of the season has probably taken a toll on his performance to some degree. And also look, the book is out on him to some degree too. Like that also happens and you get a rookie in and, and you know, this is the first time that he has NFL tape out there. Teams start to pick up on things that maybe he doesn't handle quite so well yet. And then they start throwing that at him consistently, you know? So like that, that's another reason for the quote unquote rookie wall is really just, you know, teams are adjusting to you for the first time uh, in your NFL career too. So I think it's, uh, um, I think it's way too early to panic on Skaronsky. I'm still high on his prospects of being at least a good guard. Um, like, I don't know if he'll turn into Nick Martin or, you know, one, one of these elite, elite guys or not, but uh, I think he's, he's going to be a very good guard um, at the NFL level for the Titans. And, yeah, they need to put better pieces around him. And and kind of where I'm at on hoteling is, I don't know that hoteling is bad at his job um, because I think he's been given nothing to work with. Like, look, Andre Dillard was not good in Philly, which is why he got replaced by a seventh-round pick. Uh, in okay, Jordan so let, I want to stop right there. Okay, yeah. so I want to stop right there because I think this is a good time for us to take a, like a, a short PSA for all of our listeners, for all the people watching, because we were guilty of this. And we kind of, you know, I, I like to say ostrich. We ostriched our way around Andre Dillard until you you started to changing your tune, really, when you saw him at training camp. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, we we were both guys that got on the in front of our microphones and said last year that he should be a trade deadline target for the Tennessee Titans when they had Dennis Daly. We said that he should be a target for the Tennessee Titans in free agency and they, they got him in free agency and we, we, I think we can both be man enough to admit that we were wrong. So here's our PSA. Here's my PSA. If a player is not good or not starting and he has one of the best or top tier position coaches in the league, he is not going to come here and suddenly be better. And we should have known that we should have been on that train would day one, we should have been on that train when people suggested that they trade for him back in 2022. Yeah. And we were not. So from now on, like if you, if you have, uh, let's say, 
uh, what's a top tier wide receiver coach? So let's say you have the best wide receiver coach and they have a wide receiver prospect that barely gets over a thousand yards. Okay. He's going to come here to Rob Moore, which we're going to talk about Rob Moore in a little bit. He's going to come here to Rob Moore and get you 500 yards. <laughs> that is what you can expect. So we got to make sure from now on, from now on, like any offensive lineman that is not starting for the Philadelphia Eagles that cannot find their way on the team and has not played meaningful snaps, it, coming from there is not going to be good here. Because they, we do not have the coaching staff. The Tennessee Titans do not have the coaching staff available to them to make sure that that player is any kind of good. So yeah. we just have to start setting expectations, and that's my PSA for today. So well, look, continue look, on. the whole the whole off season last year. I think is is kind of a big warning sign of like the odds of you taking someone else's backup and plugging them in as a starter and getting like a anything more than average performance out of that player is super low. It's just super low. So, I mean, let's stop having this expectation of like, Oh, well this team just didn't, this really good team just didn't know how to use him. And now we're going to fix, uh, you know, figure out how to unlock him. It's just not, not reality. Most of the time, like very rare cases uh, could be exceptions, but I, I just don't think that that's, that shouldn't be where your expectation is when they sign, you know, Joe blow next, off season as you know that was a backup for the broncos but now he's going to be a a star here or something uh it's yeah. just not happening but um, like the people who want to trade for jerry judy if jerry judy can't stay healthy and perform you know under a sean payton offense he's not coming here to do any better no it's <laughs> yeah. kind of where it's at he's not <laughs> figuring it all out in year seven in Tennessee, yeah. Um, but yeah, but the, kind of where I am with with hoteling and with Rob Moore, frankly, is like I don't know that they're bad at their job, but I also don't know that they're good at it. And it, it, if you're going to have to rebuild this entire offensive line again, anyways, which I think you do have to do, um, why don't you just go get the best offensive line coach that you can find and bring them in, and and not take this risk on like maybe hoteling's good maybe he's not maybe he can learn to be good I, you know l just take the risk out of it go get somebody who's got a proven track record and can come in and and be a you know badass offensive line coach and just do the job that's that's where i'm at and that's yeah. where i am with with rob Moore too because like frankly i watch Traylon burks and i still think Traylon burks is talented I just think he is. He's zero got talent, confidence. but nobody's unlocking it, right? He has and... zero confidence right now, and I think part of your job as a coach is to build a guy's confidence up, even when he's having, you know, a rough go of things, which Traylon Burks has. Like he has every right to not have confidence after all the stuff he's been through with the, you know, the self-inflicted weight issues, the, um, uh, uh, the concussion, the injuries, you know, the drops the struggles all that stuff there's every right like he has every right like reason to not be confident but it's the same time you have to get that guy back over the hump mentally whatever you have to do to do that um to have them contribute because to me like if Traylon burks came out and was actually confident i think you'd see a different player I, I think there's still talent there that could be brought out of him uh and i don't i'm not saying he could be a 1500 yard receiver or anything but i, I think he could be a, a good wide receiver and not just the total liability that he has been all season now. So let's talk to about Rob Moore because we have been kind of 
on this train that Rob Moore's time probably needs to come to an end. He's been here the entire time that Vrabel's been here. He's been coaching wide receivers since 2013. So he's been coaching wide receivers for 11 seasons. He has coached 78 wide receivers in that time. 78 wide receivers in that time as a position coach for, for with the Buffalo Bills, um, the Raiders, and the Tennessee Titans. And he was hired after the Raiders in 2017 had the worst drop percentage in the league. He was hired to coach wide receivers here. So keep that in mind. I think that we kind of gloss over that fact just because it's Rob Moore and he's kind of like, sometimes these position coaches fly under the radar. So he's been here for that long. Only six wide receivers out of that 78 have put up 1,000 yards. Six out of 78, which is kind of like, that's, that is a crazy low number. 7.69% of his wide receivers that he's coached have gone for 1,000 yards. 7.69. So just keep that in mind. He has had only five different seasons with, where there's been a wide receiver that has gone over 1,000 yards. And he had one where there was two. Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree both went over 1,000 yards. But the wide receivers that go over 1,000 yards, Amari Cooper, A.J. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, are near elite wide receivers. And I know that A.J. Brown credits him, credits Rob Moore a lot, but the track record is not good. It's not good enough. And and I think you're seeing it with Traylon Burks. I think you're seeing it with, you know, Kyle, Kyle Phillips, Phillips not being able yeah. to find his way on the field. I think you're just seeing it, you know, you could even point to maybe Corey Davis just a little bit. But you can, I think you're seeing on the field that he is not doing, he's either not being listened to, which if you're not being listened to by either the, the head coach or the, the scouting department, that's a bad sign that you should probably just kind of leave your job anyway. Or he's not doing a good enough job. Because at some point, it has to come back to the position coach. Because position coaches are the ones that spend the most time with that position. That's why they're called position coaches. Mike Vrabel is not in the room for the with the wide receivers breaking down film three hours, four hours a day. And not teaching them technique. He'll jump in here and there, I'm sure. But he's not teaching them some great big technique. That falls on the position coaches. So not being able to develop Traylon Burks and not being able to get, you know, these wide receivers to be able to use technique or find ways to get open more than they are, that falls on the position coaches. And they're not great, but we also have been around, we have seen now Rob Moore since 2018. I think it's time to bring in something new, not promote someone new, bring in someone from the outside to help these wide receivers. Yeah, I feel like... Why also getting better wide receivers? <laughs> yeah, because I, I feel like you're going to have to go draft somebody. I, you know, Andre or uh, DeAndre Hopkins is, does not need a position coach at this point in his career. Like, he is fine. He understands what it takes to, to do everything that he needs to do. So I, I don't think it really matters for him. But, like, it, bring in somebody else to try to get something out of Traylon Burks heading into year three. Uh, bring in somebody who can try to help develop whoever you take in the draft because you need to take a wide receiver again <laughs> pretty early in the draft. Um, so it's, uh, it, I think it's time. Yeah, I think those are the two positions where I just feel like y you need to go ahead and move on because even if we don't, it, you know, it's sometimes hard to know that a position coach is awful. Um, but I also just don't, I think we know that they're not great either, right? Like, 
the the worst case scenario you're getting like maybe slightly worse if you replaced him with somebody else and i i think it's unlikely um that that happens anyways mike the titans have drafted in the john robinson area 50 era 52 players 52 players 18 are still with the titans that is 34.6% that's ridiculous Eight are starting elsewhere. So you got 26 viable starters out of 52, which is not bad. But when you go to a team, and this is for Ed Henry, if he's listening, because I, I didn't get to the um, the Cardinals, but I did was able to do the 49ers, Eagles, and Giants because he requested, you know, we'll compare them to a couple different teams. San Francisco has 25, which is 51% of their drafted players still on the team. And they have 72% of those 25, 18 of that 25, are meeting or exceeding the expectations of when they were drafted. And a lot of these are big-time guys. And I would say that the 42.9%, and we don't know if Javon Kinlaw has maybe worked his way into a second contract with the team, so he's kind of still floating out there. But 42.9% of their first-rounders are meeting their expectations. Just for the record, Tennessee Titans, that's 37.5. <laughs> met, met expectations for the Tennessee Titans under John Robinson. Yeah. The Eagles, they're at 40%, which is higher than the Tennessee Titans. They have eight players starting elsewhere. But they also are getting first-round expectations at 66.7%. And all their starters, their 20 starters, 70% of those starters are meeting or exceeding expectations and are major contributors. Look at the Giants. The Giants were surprising. 26 drafted players. Or sorry, they had 55 drafted players, okay, in the span of 2016-2022. 26 are still on the team. So they have eight more on the team than the Tennessee Titans do. And And so, like, to me... That's insane. The Tennessee Titans are have been left in a lurch, and I don't think people really put the... Res- I think some do, and some understand that this team has been left in a lurch with John Robinson, but I heard Stillman yesterday say that we'll look back in a few years and remember fondly the John Robinson era. And I'm like, I... I mean, maybe well, some people do, but I'm not going to remember anything fondly outside of like a few players they drafted as a whole. He has destroyed this team. <laughs> well, I, I think there's two ways to look at the Robinson era. Like the first half of it was obviously great because that set up the, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021 run where they were really competitive and, and among the best teams in the AFC. Um, but then like the back half, obviously, it completely fell apart to the point where like, I mean, the fact that they took Isaiah Wilson and Caleb Farley in the first round and back-to-back drafts is unbelievably bad. Um, well, you can include Traylon Burks in that, right? Traylon well, yeah, AJ I mean, Brown and drafting Traylon Burks. You got almost zero from three straight uh, first-round picks, um, and it just can't happen. But I, I think overall, I mean, the Robinson era, if you want to look at it from a wins-loss standpoint, was very successful. Um so, I mean, I guess in that sense, maybe I could understand what he's saying there. But ultimately, yeah, the the reason for the state of the roster currently is still 99% John Robinson. Like, yeah, I, I get like 
and that's ultimately like why I get frustrated with the the people who are you know get mad that you're still trying to blame John Robinson a year later or whatever like yes it, we are still blaming John Robinson a year later because the effects of his decisions have a longer lasting shelf life than 12 months it's not like you know well 12 months have passed and now all of his players are off the roster no the the mistakes that he made in you know 2020 2021 2022 in the draft and with general team building uh are still haunting this team like the fact that they had almost no cap space last year and they had to go bargain bin shopping and try to find all these backups and insert them into starting roles is because john robinson was going for and again i understand why he was going for it i was in favor of the decisions at the time when they went to go get Clowney and Julio and all these guys, but that is, this is the comeuppance, right? Like this is, this is the, uh, the downside to going for it and doing all that restructure stuff. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to have a, a reset season. This was the Titans reset season. And I just don't understand why people are shocked that this is the result. I mean, this is kind of the way I saw this. I, I, this season has been worse than I thought it was going to be just because yeah. I, I thought, I thought they'd be more competitive. Well, not more competitive. They, I thought they'd win more games at the end of the season than five. Um, but I didn't think that this was going to be a good season from the start. And yeah, like, I guess that's, that's why I remain unsurprised now. Yeah. Look at it this way. He has 20 players that he drafted that are either out of the NFL or current free agents. So not good enough to make a team in a in a historically injured season right now. Currently, 20. The 49ers, nine of their drafted players. Nine. 13 for the Eagles. 15 for the Giants. Like, he's even worse than the Giants. The only, the only thing I can really say about it is that Bill Belichick is probably the only really, truly worst GM handling his drafted players that John Robinson was. Because we talk about how often he hasn't re-signed, that John Robinson never got around to re-signing players that that were drafted by him. Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick hasn't re-signed a player drafted in the first three rounds. He hasn't re-signed a player drafted in the first three rounds to a second contract since 2013. 2013 that's 11 seasons of of that so like yeah it can be worse it could be a whole lot worse and you see what's going on with the patriots right now but it's it's not good it's still not good if even if what john robson did if it the way that he handled the draft and certain personnel issues has left this team in a lurch and I, I will. I want to talk about Otis Reese if we have time. So I'm going to save him for the very last because I, I want to throw something out there to you about Otis Reese. But this Bill Belichick thing that I just talked about brings up a few different scenarios. And I want to spend the majority of our time talking about what was tweeted out last night in a, in a tweet storm by Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter slash X. I'm going to read these in order of they how they were posted. Okay, and then we'll break them down. I don't think we're really going to break down the 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 very first one. I just want to kind of like put out there where this probably started for him. 
And this is what it says. League office arranged marriages. Rand Carthon and Vrabel, Terry Fortinot and Arthur Smith, Ryan Pace and Matt Everflus, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. League gotten very involved in the hiring. Only the rare arranged marriages work like Holmes and Campbell. Carthon and Vrabel might not last a year. Then he goes on later to say, Vrabel is basically making it known to ownership. Pick between me and the GM he hired 11 months ago. Clearly lack a shared vision. It was an arranged marriage by Amy Adams Drunk in coordination with the league office. Vrabel wants his guy, and he deserves it. Fact is, Mike Vrabel has proven himself enough in the league to dictate the organizational structure. He'd get complete Sean Payton-like control from multiple organizations if available. Contract status is a bit cloudy, but a power play is underway. Mike wants out of Tennessee. Before we break these tweets down, I had Chad Forbes blocked. Because like four or five years ago, like a year or two, I think it's almost right after the champion AFC championship game. He puts out some weird tweet saying that there are, there's strain or something between Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, and it's ridiculous. So people kept sharing it, and so I blocked him because I just didn't want to see the tweet. And I had him blocked, and these got sent to me by Easton in a Twitter DM, and I had him blocked because I just had found him totally unreliable. Well, and I wasn't really going to talk about these tweets until PK goes on Robbie and Rexford on Wednesday morning for his usual thing and says that he finds chad forbes and he has met and talked to chad's forbes before and they 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 i I don't think you would say a working relationship but they're minor acquaintances if you will i guess like they met a couple of times so he knows that chad forbes is not like dove Kleiman. he knows that he's a, a real person um he has said that he has found that chad forbes is relatively reliable yeah in pk's big thing is followers if you have a lot of followers he also believes that you could be reliable but he knows for a fact that Chad Forbes is in tune with agents because he's a big draft guy in tune with agents. And if PK had to guess and like most of the stuff that has been said, cause this is kind of the same similar stuff we've heard now. This is the third or fourth time we have heard it, right? Like probably fifth time. If you really include what Jason and Braden have, have said on, on different shows, Jason Fitz and bring Gall on said on different shows, Charles Robinson, Ben Valin, uh, Greg Bedard, Chad Forbes, you know, it just keeps on going. Mm-hmm. It just keeps on going. And it, you don't post a tweet like this or an X like this in the middle of the night for clicks, right? Like that's not really what it's not. Listen, it's not even really working. He's only got 24 likes and 35 likes. So it's not really for clicks. Yeah. But the, PK says this is the first national guy outside of Charles Robinson. Cause I think he kind of forgot Charles Robinson said some stuff. But this is the first non-Patriots national guy who is probably, if he had to guess, hearing it from Vrabel's agent, which, again, is kind of how I've felt this whole time, is that all this stuff being leaked is from Vrabel's side. Even with the Diana Rossini stuff, it's probably Vrabel's side. Like He's playing both angles, I feel like, which is what agents are hired to do. Whether Mike Vrabel is like, you know, orchestrating it or not, he's probably just going along for the ride and just agreeing. But like, that's what agents do. So I don't really care about the arranged marriage kind of deal thing. I think that's a, that's not really a topic I really want to dive into. 
But do you, do you think it's true though? I mean, this is I I, the I do or third think the league gets now. involved in some of these hiring processes. Now, to what extent or anything? I do think I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the league gets involved. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I don't think they're forcing. It, a, yeah, I'm not forced. I'm not saying that they're they forced Rand Carthon in particular, but I do think they helped narrow the pool down. Right, like they. I think that's what they do. They help. They help you narrow the pool down to some candidates and they tell you and they make some suggestions and this and that. I think that they're involved in some kind of process. I don't think they're the final say. I don't think they give ultimatums, but I think that they are involved in the process. Um, Vrabel is basically making a known ownership pick between me and the GM you hired 11 months ago, clearly lack a shared version shared vision. It was an arranged marriage by AS and the league. Vrabel wants his guy and he deserves it. Now we have heard this. The Vrabel wants his guy. And Vrabel was only involved in the last interview. Okay? So Vrabel's only in the last interview. And John Bertotti asked, do we have an idea who Vrabel would have preferred? Monty Austin Fort and Ryan Cowden, one of those guys is probably what he preferred. And that is coming from um, what we talked about on the football show a couple weeks ago. I think like October. We talked about it in October at some point. And then we talked about it again after the Greg Bedard report, but that is what has been kind of hinted at or alluded to. That's like Ryan Calden or Monty Osifort would have been the guy if Rabel had his choice. Now, I don't know what, who his guy is going to be now. If it's John Stryker could be, you know, stretch comes back into the picture, but it's clear that Vrabel wants a guy that he doesn't feel like he has to micromanage. And that's kind of how I've always felt. And don't, I don't, don't think, think he should have to micromanage uh, Rand Carthon, but I think he wants to micromanage Rand Carthon. And That's don't you think, I, I know it's been phrased as like Cowden or Austin Fort, but don't you think it's almost definitely Austin Fort that was his guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because if you look at the timing, like obviously Cowden came with John Robinson. Like he came in with John Robinson was one of his first hires. And then Austin Fort comes in at like a, a level right next to Cowden, which I always thought was a little bit odd um, in 2020 after Vrabel had arrived. So I kind of felt like it, Austin Fort was the Vrabel guy uh, in the front office that like I would assume he was angling for him to get the job because of their shared history with New England and, and whatnot. Um, and then also just the timing of when he came on board. So I, to me, like, his his guy was awesome for it to me. Like that that yeah. seems pretty clear. Do do you think that he's earned the right to dictate the organizational structure? I I don't think um, he has. To be honest, I don't think he's earned Sean Payton, Bill Belichick like powers. In my opinion, I I wouldn't say he's earned it because I mean all the other coaches that basically have that setup or have won Super Bowls. Um, and and even some that have won Super Bowls don't have that set up, like, you know, Baltimore and uh, Pittsburgh and everything like that are more traditional. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I, don't, I would say he probably has not earned it. But do I think do I still think he's a better coach than than Rand Carthon as a GM? Yes, I do. I, I think I think Brable is the best asset that this franchise has currently today. Still, I I believe that last offseason, I still believe it now. Do you think Mike wants out of Tennessee? 
I'm starting to buy it a little bit more, to be honest, the more people chime in with this stuff, because it's just one of those things that like will not go away. Um, and it, it's been persistent enough that I don't know if it's just an echo chamber thing where like it's been talked about. So more people are, com- you know, feel good about speculating it or or it's being just chatted about in you know, these NFL insider circles enough that it it just becomes like something that's on everyone's mind. But it's been persistent enough and has come from enough different angles that at this point I just kind of buy that, yeah, maybe he does one out. Um, but I, you know, and, and it would make it sure sense. It sure is if, looking like it's gearing up for a trade to New England, right? I mean, like, sure seems like that's the, the plan. Well, right, because if he was, it doesn't make any sense for him to be angling to get out to go to Ohio State because he could just go to Ohio State. Like, that's the thing. Like, his contract with the Titans. He can just leave. Um, Ohio State can pay whatever whatever the buyout clause that's that's in his contract, and they can just do it without the Titans' permission. Whereas if he's trying to go, the only way he has to finesse something or like angle something is if he's trying to go somewhere else in the NFL, which the only spot that really makes sense would be uh, to New England. So it wouldn't shock me at all if he was maneuvering to try to make that possible if Belichick really is on the outs. You know, we, we talked about this before and we talked about uh, the collaboration shared vision. Um, and PK even said this, this point this morning, don't threaten to leave unless you already have somewhere to go. And we know that he's been up at new England, right? We know, we know that famous Patriots ring of honor thing that we kind of both thought that it was a big nothing burger. And now, the more information that comes out, the Ben Bolin reports, the Greg Bedard reports, that's where it all started. You know, I kind of kind of feel like I, I I don't know where I land, but I do know this. I think Rand Carthon can be a good GM if he was given the the power to be it. I, I still believe it. I think he comes from a good pedigree. I think he works hard. I still believe it. I don't know if Mike Vrabel thinks that, and I feel like the, you know, Teron Davenport had, you know, after the Tampa Bay game, he interviewed them both. I don't feel that anything in that article hadn't already been said in the press conferences. Like, and I I don't know. Amy Adams Strunk has put herself, because someone said something to this line, and I would I would answer the question, you know, that Amy Adams Strunk put herself in this unenviable, enviable position. Because if you fire Rand Carthon, you're going to get called a racist. <laughs> you know, that's just how it is. It's good. That's how it's going to be perceived, right? Like, I yeah. mean, I think it could be perceived that if you fire Mike Vrabel, you're going to be called an idiot. Yeah. If you trade Mike Vrabel, you you better get a big haul, and I don't think. Like, are you, is that a pick swap in the first round? And then you're going to get, you know, some first and some extra compensation on top of that. But then he's going to go and likely be happier and successful at the Patriots. And who are you going to get? Can you be trusted to hire the right head coach for this team in a rebuild? Are you going to spend $15 million to get Ben Johnson or outbid David Tepper? Right? Because that's the hot name. Are you going to take a chance on a one-year guy like Bobby Slowick because he has ties to Rand Carthon? Do you want your ties to be Rand Carthon? Do you want to have it to be a complete clean house and get rid of everybody and just start all over? Like, it's a bad situation. She put herself into this, 
because of collaboration, but also given Mike Vrabel more power than I think he should have with the GM. But that brings me to my, my question. How do you want the organizational structure to look in general? Not the Titans, but in general, what do you think is the most successful? Do you think it's like head coach has final say, but the general manager, you know, what? how do you view that? Like power-wise, how do you view it? I think if you've got a strong head coach, I think the best situation is to have kind of similar to the idea of what the Titans kind of have set up where like the coach and general manager are equal under the owner. Um, I would put the general manager has full control over the draft player acquisition for 50, uh, well, 90 man roster. And then the coach gets uh final say on, or there's, there's at least, some veto power with the coach on the 53 man roster selection. So like, you know, you're not going to cut someone that the coach just desperately wants on the team for some reason. Um, So I think that's kind of the best setup. I mean, cause I I was a fan of it in theory when they were setting it up because it was kind of like what they have in San Francisco, right? Like Shanahan does have a lot of power there, but at the end of the day, there is still a general manager. There's still a robust, um, you know, personnel side that handles the personnel side stuff um you know mostly led by obviously john lynch is kind of the figurehead but you know as we kind of found out last offseason uh what's his name um adam peters is is really the guy kind of the puppet master behind the 49ers personnel uh decisions um i i don't know i think it's it's interesting um structure wise to have it set up that way that's the way i would probably prefer it to be but it's got to work right like the coach and the general manager have to be in lockstep for any of this to work regardless of how you set it up like whether it's gm over coach or coach over gm or like whatever i I think the coach and the gm's relationship and i've heard multiple like people who have worked in nfl uh you know, buildings before say this, that relationship is the most important relationship in the organization because that sets the tone for everything else. Um, and it does not seem like that's a good relationship right now based on literally every report that's out there um, about Carthon and Vrabel. A lot of reports. <laughs> yeah. lot of reports. It, there's an awful lot of people that are willing to put their name on the fact that there is a problem in Tennessee between Carthon and Vrabel and whether that is they don't get along at all or whether that is Vrabel didn't want him to begin with and just is not willing to accept him or whatever the case may be, there's some sort of issue there because otherwise there just would not be this much smoke out there. I, I just I cannot believe that this is all just made up fairy tale shit. So in in a sense, if if you're gonna trade Vrabel let's say let's say I want to give you a hypothetical here. Titan straight Vrabel to the Patriots. What do you do with Rand Carthon? Do you just start fresh? Because that's kind of been that's kind of been my whole thing is that I I, I feel like Rand Carthon first off is going to get done wrong no matter what the situation is unless they keep both of them somehow. Okay, and I don't know if that's the most likely scenario anymore. I think one of them is gone, but I think Rand Carthon is going to get done wrong because i i feel like if if mike Vrabel 
you're not choosing Rand Carthen over Mike Vrabel. You're choosing draft picks over Mike Vrabel. <laughs> like, like, and I don't know. I feel like if they're, I think the best course of action is just to start fresh. And I hate that that would be at the expense of Rand Carthon. But hypothetically, I think the team would use this as a way to just say we're starting fresh. Yeah. And then you hire GM first or head coach first? GM first. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think so you, you then your the GM, GM would be in the process of hiring the head coach. Yeah. I, 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 think I that's find probably. it weird. So I'm going to throw this out there to you. Okay. So I find this weird. Mike Vrabel wasn't brought into the very end. And we, we know that we know there's a lot of smoke and fire around the idea that the league is involved. Do you think they purposely left Mike Vrabel out because they knew that he wouldn't want the league? He doesn't want to be told what to do by the league in that regard. Do you think, think they kind of so. like left him out? I think so. Cause I, th- I always thought it was weird that he was not involved until the final round of interviews. Right. I mean, I, I always thought that that was conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat for us. And I do think that that makes sense that that may be the reason that he was left out was because they already knew his feelings was that he wanted like Austin Fort and um, that he wasn't really open to another, you know, outside GM. Um, So I, I think that's entirely possible. And the other thing about the whole arranged marriage side of this thing is, I understand the league um, is is wanting to promote hiring minority candidates for these positions, and I'm totally for that. However, forcing the hand of a team like the Titans to do something like this and then it turning into a situation like this where it is an untenable situation and one of the best coaches in the league is is like trying to force his way out over it, that is – a horrible, horrible backfire. And like, I guess a reason why, like, I feel like the league has to be careful about overplaying their hand in situations like this, because this is only going to make Grant Carthon look bad. There's no way he comes out of this looking good, you know, cause it's like likely going to end with either him getting fired or him. There's going to be some spicy, like post exit interviews oh. out there and comments and stuff. It's It's going to be spicy. Yeah, it, there's like. a chance it gets really bad. And look, it makes the Titans look dysfunctional. Um, it, it makes it calls into question everything about Amy Adams Strunk's leadership, which is unfortunate because I think until this last like twenty, what twenty months, she'd done a great job with the Titans. Like she'd done a great job with pretty much everything she'd put her hands on. And I don't know if it's if. You know, and I'll always wonder if there's not more to the John Robinson firing. Like, did it? Did I know people have said that there had that this had nothing to do with it, but did the the whole COVID, you know, fines against the team and, and the the perception that the Titans were just not adhering to the league's rules uh, play a factor? Did that combined with the Todd Downing incident on the team airplane? uh at least theoretically on the team airplane um did that have something to do with it too like because there's there was some stuff with the titans that seemed to be like a lack of respect for the rules of the league thing where i almost wonder if the league didn't step in and say look 
Robinson doesn't give any shits about what we're trying to tell y'all to do. And, and he's a problem. He needs to go. Um, and we're going to try to help you land on your feet with another GM. Maybe they thought they were doing her a favor um, by trying to help, help them land with Carthon. But it just seems like this whole process has been bad and it's going to, it's going to really look bad if this goes where it seems like it's headed and Vrabel ends up somewhere else um because well, let me yeah, ask you a question it could be a total okay, no, turning yeah, point for the I franchise agree. in a bad way uh let's say that both positions come open okay let's just say that gm is open head coach is open at the same time if you're a gm or a potential guy that you want to be a gm where would you put the Tennessee Titans on your list of available jobs because you got Will Levis. You got uh, DeAndre Hopkins is still there. You got 80 something million dollars in con in, in there. And you're going to be able to pick your head coach. If you're the head coach, you got Will Levis and pretty much you can go get as tell anybody what, how many players you want, right? Like all these players. So where are you at in, uh, how attractive those respective jobs are. Let's say GM, you're completely open, no head coach. Do rank it with Vrabel and with with picking your own head coach as a GM. Yeah, I think. See, I think it's going to probably be not that attractive. I mean, I guess on you know with with Vrabel, it's probably a little bit more attractive because you have a good okay. head coach. Um already in place which is a huge piece and theoretically i guess if you were going to be hired on you would be you know uh and have Vrabel's approval and and you know be starting that relationship off better than however it seems the carthon relationship has started with him but without Vrabel, i think it's a pretty low job because most gms would rather select their quarterback right and and, and not have to inherit um a quarterback like I mean, it would be kind of the same situation that John Robinson walked into uh, with a second-year quarterback who had shown flashes in year one, and and you inherit him, and you're kind of stuck seeing what what he can do, um, unless you really want to pull the ripcord and go with like Jaden Daniels or something like that, and and you know try to find other ways to solve the offensive line or wide receiver problems, it, you know. I don't know. I just don't think it's a super high. I'd, I'd rank it above the Panthers job. I know, I know that for sure. Would I, you say I the think, Patriots is a more attractive job? I think if you're yeah. a GM. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And obviously the Chargers, I think we both kind of agree. Their cap situation is not great, but Justin Herbert, there's a lot yeah. of talent there to play with. Yeah. Okay. You are so let's say you're a head- quarterback there, but you're inheriting an already good quarterback, yeah. not a mystery box. But keep in mind, if Mike Vrabel's not here, you're getting extra draft picks somewhere in a trade because he's not getting fired. I think it has to be a what trade, about, right? Like, what about Raiders? Where do you where are you stacking against the Raiders? I'd probably put the Raiders pretty low. It doesn't seem like you have a really long leash with the, <laughs> the Raiders. Your 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 job uh, security is not very high, and they don't really um, have any pieces parts either. That right. That so I, let's flip to roster. let's flip to the head coach. Let's say that Rand Carthon is here. And then also if Rand Carthon is not here. So maybe let's just say if Rand Carthon is here, because obviously if 
you the GM is already in place. It's another GM, and they're they're picking you, so there should be a good you know situation there. Rand Carthon is here. Where do you rank that as a head coach? Saying okay, I got a young GM on the upswing that had a good draft class last year. They got a lot of money. They got a lot of draft picks because they traded away Mike Vrabel. And they got Will Levis. If you're like Ben Johnson, would you rather go to the Panthers? If let's say money's the same, Panthers or Patriots or Titans? Well, obviously Mike Vrabel's in the Patriots in this scenario. So would you rather go Panthers or Titans? Wouldn't you rather go Titans? I'd rather go Titans, yeah. Yeah. I, but you'd frankly, probably really want to go to the Chargers if you're Ben Johnson, right? Right. Yeah, 100%. No, yeah. And part of that is ownership. Like I, I think Tepper. Is because I think the perception of ownership is is a bigger factor in all of that stuff. Like what the attractiveness of a job than almost anything else. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that is who your future is tied to is the owner and and how much patience the owner has, um, what your relationship with the owner is, how much the owner is willing to spend or give you. Uh, that you think you need to to succeed at your job, how much support you're going to get, that whole thing. So I think ownership plays a huge role in how attractive these openings are, more so than like geography or the state of the roster currently or, or anything like that. I think it comes down to owner, which I ultimately think is why, um, for better or worse, if Rabel is in fact kind of – trying to get out of here i think it has more to do with he wants to go work for robert Kraft uh than it does anything else you know i I think that is the it it has nothing to do with the patriots roster it is all about robert Kraft and his ties to that team you know and and his history there um and the trust and relationships that he has built up with that that group so to me that's kind of where all of this settles out when you start ranking those jobs is, is what kind of owner do you have? And that's why I think like, you know, if, if, and the chargers are another one that like, even though they have Herbert, you know, Spanos does not have a history of wanting to spend uh, like big money on the roster. So it, it is, I don't know. I, I think the Titans could be a relatively attractive opening, but again, this, this whole dysfunction thing makes it, harder for you to hire a good coach if you just ran off Mike Vrabel, right? I mean, that's going to send major alarm bells off to the entire coaching community if you just run off Mike Vrabel and it's like, oh, why did he want out? You know, what what am I walking into here uh, in this kind of situation? So I don't know. It, it's They've put themselves in a major pickle. Oh, yeah, we forgot about Washington. Washington may be the yeah. most appealing job out of it everything be. because, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, you got good ownership there now. So let me ask you a question. Okay, where let's end on something positive. Who are the other two players that you're talking about besides Otis Reese before we get into it? You're gonna love you're gonna love all of these. <laughs> Harold okay. Landry and uh Dylan Radens. Okay, so Dylan Radens, you're just gonna ignore all the help he's getting. I'm not ignoring he's the terrible help without help. I'm not ignoring no, he hasn't been terrible without help. I I, I went back yes, and watched all of this. No, no, no. I watched I watched all of the snaps. He is he has not been terrible without help. I've got clips in there with he's him not good no in the help. run game for sure. He's it's, doing, it's, doing pretty well. It's just a fact. 1.33 yards per carry heading into the Texans game without help in run, the run game. That's okay. 
That's fine. I, I watched right. I watched him play. He's he's playing better than he has at any point in his Titans career, which is not a super high bar. And I'm not saying he's like the answer at right tackle, but I I do think he's played better over the last five weeks. Okay. So Otis Reese though. In David Long's rookie year, a six-round draft pick out of West Virginia. Okay. His rookie year, he played 68 snaps. Okay. Otis is at 60. And Otis Reese is statistically having a much, much better rookie year than David Long. Now, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just setting this up for this. What is the difference? in your mind, between the talent level of a UDFA from an SEC school like Ole Miss and a six-round draft pick, like, just heading into the season, do you think that there's a six-round... Do you think that there is a massive difference between a six-round draft pick at linebacker and a UDFA linebacker? No, not at all. Once you get into the sixth round, I think it's all kind of... Whether you get drafted or not comes down to, like preference um i think you're all talking about the same level talent guys at that point gotcha okay so we know that this team has developed david long what are the chances unless vrabel is gone (laughs) if vrabel sticks around what are the chances that otis reese because he has shown some good stuff on tape he's shown some athletic ability ability to go uh horizontally across the field and make some run stops what are the chances that the, his development continues? And I'm not saying you get David Long, and you kind of talked about this earlier, that he may be the best third linebacker for next year. But what are the chances that maybe in 2025 he develops into a starting-level linebacker? I mean, I, I do think there's a chance, and it's funny you mentioned uh, David Long because I mentioned him in my piece as far as like a guy that, like that Reese kind of reminds me of. Um, Well, I saw that when I saw the Brian Baldinger um, breakdown about Otis Reese, I'm like, man, that reminds me of like rookie year, David long, where he's just like, he may not be great. And he wasn't that great, you know, that year, but man, he sure did fly around that field. Yeah. I mean, he's, his speed is noticeable. Like it, it is obvious when you turn on the tape and actually just zone in on watching him. Like he moves at, a really good speed across the field. Like he, he is noticeably faster than most of the other guys, even, even Al Shire uh, playing next to him. I, I think Reese has more just, I think Al Shire's just got a lot burst. of tread on the tires. He's playing three linebacker positions at once. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> He's, he is wore out. Um, But yeah, I, I think Reese's speed is obvious. Um, His willingness to, to stick his nose in and hit, uh, is obvious, just like David Long. Um, I think the differences, you know, to me are he's a little bit lighter. I mean, he's about 10 pounds lighter, he, but he is taller, so he's a little bit longer too, and that shows up in, in some ways. So they're slightly different, but like the aggression and the speed to me are similar to David Long and the ability to just, you know, there there's different ways to beat blocks, right? Like some of some guys are going to overpower you or, or use their, their – strength to knock a, an a offensive lineman to the side and make a play. Other guys are just going to run around the offensive lineman, and he is able to mostly just run around the offensive lineman without slowing down significantly, which is another thing that David Long, another trait that David Long has. So, like, I watched him, and I was like, look, 
there's plays where you can tell he doesn't know know where to line up and and like Aziz Alshire is telling him where to go because of the motion and how to react you know to the to the front that the offensive is presenting so he's still like figuring things out on the fly but he plays with instincts he plays fast he plays hard um and he moves well in coverage so like I, I don't know I I think that there's upside there um I don't know that I like I said I don't know that I want to be like the the locked in starter next year or anything like that no but no I, I, I don't think, think you can I don't think you can go you cannot go into the 2024 season with the idea that Otis Reese has one of the starting spots at linebacker. Correct. They didn't do that with David Long no, in his second no. year. So yeah, they, like that's that's why I bring it up because I feel like there's a lot of similarities to what we saw on tape in a vacuum from Otis Reese compared to what I remember seeing about David Long. And also keeping in mind that David Long did not become a full-time starter until injuries and in I believe year two kind of forced him into the lineup for a couple of games. And then year yeah. three is when he really became the David Long that we all know. So that's why I kind of think like Otis Reese, maybe what are the chances year three becomes that David Long? So that's why I asked yeah. that question. Like if, I see people in the chat talking about like objectively good players versus good for what the Titans have. And I think right now, I don't know where I would put Otis Reese. I'm yeah. just saying that there is a good, there's a lot of promise, and that's what we have always said that you're looking for. Once they were eliminated from the playoffs, you were looking for question, uh, more answers than questions. And as far as your third linebacking spot go, where it was Monty Rice this year, it has been upgraded with Otis Reese for next year. Yeah, now, I agree. He's got a continued trajectory to be a starter, but nobody here is sitting between us saying that he's a starter in 2024. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's very real questions about like, you know, he's 215 pounds. How can he hold up interior, you know, against interior offensive linemen in the hole? And I showed some clips of that, uh, you know, in, in my breakdown today, um, or that will be going up today. And, uh, I, you know, so far, not bad. Uh, not as bad as I thought it might have been for 215-pound linebacker. But I think you need to see it over a bigger sample size and against, you know, different guards and, and things like that before you really have a real comfort level that like, that's not going to be a glaring problem uh, at, at this level. But so far I'm like very intrigued. And we know that Mike Vrabel likes him, you know, whether or not Mike Vrabel is here next year or not uh, could, could be a big factor in whether Otis Reese is, is a guy that's even on the roster next year or, you know, maybe has he's, a role. He's putting some good stuff on tape. I mean, he if is. you get a Baldy's breakdown, that's pretty high praise. Like it, that's a pretty high and praise, it, and it will get attention around the league too, right? I mean, like yeah. I, I know that's mostly just for for Twitter followers and stuff like that, but I, I don't think that there's any doubt that like coaches, front office scouts around the league are probably checking those things out just to see if they if Baldy sees something that that maybe they're missing or that they didn't notice uh, in those breakdowns. I think you know. That act absolutely happens um, around the league. So it's all about putting stuff on tape. That's what yeah. they all talk about, and that's what yeah, he's doing. And so this guy doesn't lie. Knock a guy for doing that. That will do it for us. Is it was a uh, is a good episode. I feel like I feel like we talked about a lot of wide range of topics. Thanks for everybody for joining us this early in the morning. Really appreciate it. Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee, our sponsor. Go there. Final game of the season is on Sunday. Go blow it out. Go get some party supplies and just get enough alcohol while you're at home so you do not have to remember 
this final game because I think it's going to be a really bad, boring game like every game it feels like for the Tennessee Titans so far this year. Just really bad and boring. So go to Bluegrass Beverages. For Mike Herndon, you can read his articles uh, about the fourth quarter sack merchant, uh, Harold Landry, and about Mr. I Need Help, uh, Dylan Radins, and, of course, uh, future All-Pro Otis Reese over at paulkarski.com. Over at stackinginbox.com, we're going to have an article about reshaping the wide receiver room uh, for the 2024 season. It's by Trajan Watkins. On Friday, we're going to have five offensive linemen uh, breakdowns, and we have all kinds of stuff uh, planned for the offseason, stackinginbox.com. And, of course, on Thursdays and Mondays, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, a football show with me and Braden Gall. So make sure you tune in for that. This has been Football and Other F-Words, and you have just been effed.